Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. We are a happily married husband and wife who have unfiltered, raw conversations about life, marriage, children, music, food, traveling, vans, cryptocurrencies, theology, homosexual agenda, sometimes politics, church stuff, and Jesus. Yeah. Did we talk about <laughs> did, parent- I, did you say parenting? Did I say parenting? I think yeah. I said kids, didn't I? Okay. Did I say kids in there? I don't remember. I don't anyway. I wasn't um, actually really listening, to be Yeah, honest. we don't plan anything, you guys. So thank, so for the next... Um, I have no idea what Molly's going to talk about, which is cool. Neither um, do I. Wha- which is cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Nice. Anything new happened this week? Uh, let's see. Well, we... We spent most of last weekend at my parents' cabin in the Crazy Mountains, which was interesting for a few points. One was that we took a new route there because one of the, bri- the bridge, one of the bridges that we normally drive over that goes over the Yellowstone River was compromised by the severe flooding that happened this last week. Speaking of which, did you know that Flathead County is under a disaster declaration because of flooding up there also wow huge swaths of farmland up in flathead county are underwater right now that's crazy it is crazy uh but so so the bridge that we normally take sorry knocked a notebook off the table i'll be right back the bridge that we normally take to turn up the highway the smaller highway off of interstate 90 was compromised by the floodwaters and so i we had to take a northern route rather than a southern route, and it was a lovely new adventure. Also, these little towns that are... There's only two little towns that we go through. Well, three. And you count the one at the corner that's just a gas station for... Big, big Arm or Big Fork? No, I'm thinking, I don't know, Levina, Broadview, Oh, Harlington, sorry. Martinsdale. I wasn't... I was opening up my notepad... To, um, no, I'm just thinking that the nor- the northern route that we go to to get to the cabin, there was one town that was, there's about 30 minutes on either side where there's nothing, and gasoline was five ninety nine a gallon at the one gas station in town. Oh, JR, while we were driving that route, so my dad drove up before all of us with a couple of our kids, and then we came up a couple hours later with the rest of our kids and my mom, and while we were driving that route... JR was like, there used to be a train track along here. There's, and it wasn't too long ago. There's signs of a train track. It was an electric train track. Really? Yes. My, my dad knew about it, and I can't remember the route that he said it went. It was a fairly <clears throat> short route, and at one point, was it just to connect communities? Then uh, like it was. Passenger? I think it was sheep. I think oh, it was okay. primarily for sheep. Yeah. Because it would ship them all to like White Sulphur Springs, and then from White Sulphur Springs, they would get distributed all over the world. I can't. Because that was one of the great biggest, like at the turn of the century, I think that was one of the largest sheep the sheep areas in the world was yeah. right there. I can't Springs, remember the exact coordinates of it, but at some point after you started noticing, because they took it up and there were, there's no... There's no rails or anything. No, there's still just single steel poles that look for like lights. signal lights. Yeah. Well, at one point, if you're driving towards Ringling, I think after Martinsdale, there was a brick building. 
Yeah. yeah that, that was the power exchange place for the entire railroad track. My oh, was said. it? And oh. so I'm picturing the gas station that had $5.99 a gallon gas oh. across the road from that. So as you're driving towards the cabin, there was a train engine sitting mm-hmm. on blocks in the park. Was did that you... the train engine? Yes, because it That's had... That's Harlowtown, by the way. Did you notice the big electric or the, the big kind of geometric rack on top of the train, on top of the engine? I didn't at the time, and now that you mention it, I, it's, it has vague... Yeah, it that's where it connected to the electrical wires. You know, like the San Francisco all trolleys. These, you guys, all these people now are like, we need to go electric. We need to go electric. They got rid of them for a reason. Yeah. Also, I mean, <laughs> if, we you put want, that if you back want to in? speak about electricity, <laughs> look at. I read an article this morning in the Federalist. Uh, I can try to find it, but it's not. It's not that interesting, other than the fact that Germany is experiencing a bit of an energy crisis because they got rid of all of their. Almost all of their nuclear facilities. A couple years ago, they had, I don't know, 20 nuclear energy facilities, and they have three left, and they're due to close by the end of this year. Oh, keep them open. And how, you know, you know what, how Germany is making up the energy gap now? Especially since they're so dependent on Russia, they were making electricity from natural they're gas. They're making everybody ride bicycles. No, coal. They're burning coal for electricity oh now because they closed down their nuclear plants. Let's go back to 1894. And this is, and they're not obviously not advertising it. It's because their solar and wind power isn't making up for things. Elizabeth Warren also recently, this was in the oh same article. Word. I guess because I'm quoting it so many times, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to actually dig it up and send it to you. Elizabeth Warren apparently said Texas has an energy crisis and clean energy. Nuclear, wind, and solar is is bridging the gap, and it's literally the guy was like, "That's like saying," and I don't know these baseball players that these three baseball players had a combined hundred over a hundred home runs in one season. One of the baseball players had two, but <laughs> so nuclear, solar, and wind—if you were to say combined—those are almost half of the energy provide that's being provided for Texas right now. Most of that is coming from nuclear. And so you're bumping out these other quote unquote clean energy sources, which is questionable given how much petroleum, how many fossil fuels are used to create those. All that aside, anyway. There must be a lot of money being thrown around in D.C. to get some of these people to just make the dumbest decisions. Well, or just politics and, and, in general. And, and electrical I, that's cars. That's a really cynical comment, I realize. It is a super cynical comment, but it's fair. Electrical cars and other quote-unquote clean energy have said for decades now, we just need government subsidies to get us over the next hump. We just need government subsidies to get us over the next hump. And how many times have solar... You've been like, maybe this is the time I should get solar panels for the house because the the credits are going to expire. The federal tax credit's going to expire. Yeah, because then it's not worth in it. In the next couple of years. Well, <clears throat> it, they keep extending it, though, because yeah. it's never worth it. It has yet to become cost effective <sighs> to switch to it. Um, that brings me to this bigger point. I had a meeting at our house last night. On- I was going to ask about how, because some of you would have remembered from last week's episode that... We talked about the local zoo that is having um, drag queen story time with a bunch of kids. And it upset a ton of parents. And they all wrote in to the zoo saying, this is just unacceptable. And the zoo doubled down saying, yeah, well, screw you, parents. We're going to do this anyway. Yeah. And churches. So Molly took the opportunity 
to use this as something of a not Canavox promotion, but just an opportunity for her work to speak into our our little local culture here. So she hosted an emergency Canavox meeting last night, and I was going to ask you to give us the recap and tell us how it went because we have a bunch of listeners on the edge of their seats right now. <laughs> Do we? Doubtful, but go ahead. Uh- well, it was interesting because one of the predominant feelings of people there was, wow, this hit Billings a lot faster than I thought it would. We have this sense that Montana even is this sleepy backwoods, insulated from the craziness to some extent that's happening on the coasts. And culturally, historically, you know, I remember being in junior high, maybe maybe even younger than that, and one of my cousins who lived in Laramie, Wyoming, which is close to Denver, so that's a big city, right, even though it's middle America, she was like, oh, you guys up in Billings, your fashion is way slower than ours because we're close to a big city. <laughs> and meanwhile, you know, back in the 90s, fashion had, fil- had taken five, seven years to filter in from the coasts right. into... Into where we were. And now with the internet, everything is flat and instant. And also with the uncoupling of morality from any stable basis, we just get the the mountain conservative red states get washed out to sea by the tsunami seconds after the coasts get hit with the same tsunami. And so this this sense of, holy cow, wow, I wasn't expecting this to impact me and my little homeschooled family as fast as it did. And then, so there were a couple of people who were like, this, this was really unsettling for me. And I've been reeling and uh, appreciated a safe space to be able to process with like-minded people. That was a real common sentiment. So even though they'd been at park dates and stuff, discussing this with friends, having a little bit more of a formal, you know, this Mm -hmm. is actually a two hour time block where we can discuss this however we want and frame it in a, in a redemptive way, which is what has God been teaching me? How is God being, calling me to act right now? And how do I see God bolstering me and where am I relying on his promises, essentially, in what feels like an onslaught that has come, the the battlefront has hit us sooner than we necessarily thought it would. And... It was it was cool. A lot of the moms of little kids who the ones who were taken off guard were like, "Okay, this is what I do now. I need to know how to arm my kids. I need to know how to have these conversations with my kids. I need to not be fearful in my conversations with these kids. This is one point that I was just reflecting on that was has has been an interesting thing to think about for the last less just less than 24 hours now there were a couple of moms who had more open conversations with their kids about why they were upset with the zoo or why they were going to stop going to the zoo and that was another thing that was kind of a fun cool 
thing. There were a very wide range of opinions about what should be done. Like everybody thought mm-hmm. we you should contact them in some capacity. Some people felt like I need to track down all the board members, which the zoo has taken board member and sponsor because it's a nonprofit information off of their website in the last two weeks. So it's a little bit harder to track down unless you're using you're good at internet archive sleuthing, which I'm not. But so do you track down every single board member and every single sponsor and let them know what you think? Or do you just send one letter and that's it? And do you say, we're never setting foot on the zoo property again? Or do you say, I, I'm going to keep going. There's one mom who teaches an, a mom fitness class at the zoo on Wednesdays. And she said, I expect that a lot of the moms who go to the class with me this coming Wednesday will stay for this story hour. And and she's like, and so I'm going to keep teaching the class because this is my point of contact with these people to unabashedly say, I think this is wrong and this is why. And I don't think you t- should take your kids to it because they think you're harming them. And I'm not going to back down or apologize from that. Uh, but I'm also not going to be in mm-hmm. your face wild and ragey about it. This is this is what I think. And I'm not going to. But she's not going to stop going to the zoo and. I sort of feel like I land in the middle, which is I'm wary now, but I'm going to sit back and see how much further they go down this line. Yeah. That was a sidetrack. What was the thing that I was just starting to say? I don't know. You were starting to talk about something Kanevoxy. No, I, I was, wanted to recap from last night. No, I, I was I sidetracked. There was something I was to say about parents what what i've been mulling over oh so what i've been mulling over for just the last i guess today is as parents have talked to their kids about why i'm upset with the zoo or why we're not going back to the zoo some of them have been more open about you know you see these flags all over town and you know you see these internet posts about there's one that i'm picturing in particular where there's a little I don't know, five, six-year-old black girl standing next to a little five or six-year-old white girl, and they saw each other in the grocery store, and they're wearing the same Elsa dress or something, and they're like, we're twins! And people are like, see, kids are born colorblind. And they they don't adopt these bigoted racist tendencies until adults breathe them in, you know, put this into their brains. I think there's some truth to that. I think there is absolutely truth to that. Kids are colorblind to a certain extent. Kids are not innocent blank slates that we write sin onto, though. And the reason I've been thinking about this is because as parents, and these are wise, loving, gracious moms who are talking. And a a couple of them said, so my girls were like, those horrible. So they see a pride flag in somebody's yard. And those horrible, terrible people. And the parents have to say, no, 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 no. Just because they have a pride flag in their yard or in their window right now doesn't tell us anything about the common grace ways that they may be delightful, lovely people, good neighbors, loving parents, fantastic craftsmen or whatever way they contribute to the community. We cannot judge them 
based on this one thing that they're choosing to broadcast to the world about their identity or their belief system. And the kids are doing this and the parents are having to train grace into the kids' hearts. And I see that in our kids as well sometimes where they they will hear us processing something about a family that we don't spend as much time with anymore for whatever reason. Maybe we don't even understand why we're not spending as much time with this other family or they you know, or we do or it's just life circumstances or we disagree with somebody about something. Kids latch onto that and take it to the extreme often. And it takes a more mature adult. I mean, the classic would be, I hate you. I'm never playing with you again because mm-hmm. X, Y, or Z. I, th- I think that that displays the natural depravity in our hearts to take feelings about someone or one piece of who someone is or what someone does and carry it to the extreme. And part of it is just human maturity because it's not just Christians who should be not taking this one thing to the extreme. Well, I see it all the time, like, you know, in in Titus, for instance, you know, for some reason he'll just, he'll have this impression of something from somewhere with somebody and his his reaction to X thing will be really visceral. He, he it's, it's like, vis- whoa. It, one, it's they visceral. Call for that. <laughs> and two, it totalizes it. I don't yeah. know if that's a word. Yeah, no, truly. It, it It's the, some, yeah, that totalize, that perfect example. You know, you mentioned, um, you mentioned the innocence of kids, um, the innocence of kids when they're standing in a grocery store and a black kid and a white kid see that they're wearing the same dress or something like that. And they're like, hey, we're, we're twins. twins. Um, it reminds me, so I had a really interesting thought in this, like, for like the last two weeks because my, my Bible study is going through a, a Machen, early J. Gresham Machen book called Unseen, Things Unseen. Anyway, it was it was that during the fall, when Adam and Eve sin for the first time, infecting humanity forever, um, they'd lost an innocence, and it, it had this new parallel between, um, it had this new uh, parallel for me with with God saying, "Having you know, have faith like a child." You know, there's um, the world. You're not born pure, as Romans five twelve tells us, or Romans 8, 28 or 323 or whichever one that is. But at the same time, you, there is an innocence there that we've, we've lost. It should be more like that. Yeah. There is, like, we we're always presuming motives. We're always injecting things with guilt. We're always feeling like somebody's out to get somebody. And it's just kind of lost. It makes me sad. There's also the childhood innocence when Jesus says, let the ch- little children come unto me for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. There's that, to me, less than the presumption of things and the, in the, the actual innocence is the fact that they don't have anything to offer. You know, when you, when you go to a family barbecue, the kids aren't like, oh my goodness, I have to bring something or I'm not going to be welcome or I'm going to be a poor guest, which is the adult impulse all day long. You hate showing up somewhere empty-handed. Because you feel like it 
displays inadequacy on your part or uh, ingratitude on your part, you have to come with something. Even if the person hosting you says, I'd like to do this just for you. Don't bother to bring anything. You still stop at the convenience store and buy a six pack of beer on your way there or a bag of chips or you just have to bring something. And kids are like, I'll show up. They're happy to serve me. I'll take whatever they want to give me. And then I'll ask them if they happen to have some ice cream to go with the strawberries they're offering (laughs) for dessert. There's no compulsion in freely receiving something that has been freely given. And I think that is what Jesus, how Jesus expects us to come to him because it's what we would have to offer him as pittance and worthless anyway. And we have to recognize that before we can actually come to Jesus in the terms that he wants us to. We did, with the Drag Queen Story Hour, we did a lot of discussing why it's so important to make this, in a sense, our line in the sand, which is the um, two videos that I think both of them, PragerU on Instagram, had shown yesterday, were, there was one with a guy... Now, if I couldn't find my notes, I didn't write it down on these notes. His name was Jocko Boyens or something. J-A-C-O-B-O-O-Y-E-N-S, I think is... And then there's a dot, Jocko.Boyens, I think is his Instagram handle. And PragerU interviewed him. And he said, the most powerful thing in the world is sex. And if you take an innocent child who should be sexually innocent and not have that part of them awoken or corrupted when they're really young, like kindergarten, if you can abuse them or corrupt them at that age, their their instinctual defense response is to essentially become a turtle. They withdraw in order and become a shell of a human being in order to protect. And you see that kids who were abused as children take years of therapy in order to function normally in human Mm -hmm. society. Now we're doing this to an entire generation or multiple generations now. On purpose. On purpose. And intentionally. And it depends on, you know, how sinister and conspiracy theory you want to get. But he said what's going to happen is by the time these kids who are being dragged to drag shows... By the time they're 18, they're basically going to be zombies because their their emotions and their ability to process things rationally will have shut down so much that they will be able to do nothing, um, nothing to defend themselves or to rationally process and think for themselves. And... He was ascribing sinister motives to wanting to create an entire generation of people who who think and function like that. But whether you ascribe the sinister motives or not, it's heartbreaking to think of the psychological harm being done. And, and these parents who have been just the, the total—I mean, we talked so much last night about Romans 1 and suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and God turning— them over and this this acceleration that we've seen. I mean, when I joined working with Canavox in 2016, and I read some some predictions from people like 
polygamy is going to be normalized and pedophilia is going to be normalized and it's called a, being a minor attracted person now and it's on the LGBTQ in the alphabet soup that they have and it, and it's it's a thing and it will probably be normalized and recognized and plot, applauded within the next couple of years is what a lot of people think. Uh, there was a, a woman that we read who was actually featured, Miriam Grossman, she's featured in Ben Shapiro's, not Ben Shapiro's, Matt Walsh's new What is a Woman? And she, in her book, You're, They're Teaching My Child What About Public School Sex Ed, predicted the transgender wave based on what she was seeing as a, as a college psychiatrist I don't even know when the book was published, but it in 2016, her prediction seemed so outlandish. Like, okay, you say some quality things in this book, but this prediction is a little kooky and out there. That's not going to happen. And it, it we've blown past her predictions <laughs> now in our culture in terms of transgender and sexualizing of children. I feel like there's a there's a there's a sense of pride or rather than a sense of pride maybe a lack of humility when it comes to as christians looking at scripture and seeing everything that's happened and how far humanity went down into the hole so fast. and then somehow assuming that we're beyond that or we're better than that or you know maybe it's leftovers from the enlightenment but it's like oh we don't we're, we're not going to get that bad yeah and we're somebody go somebody far. pointed out saying i think it was addy hi addy uh, oh, I looked over at the window. No, she's she was going to drop her kids off, but no, I was just saying hi, Eddie, on here. Cause oh, she's dropping her kids she, off today? Yes. She are they going to judo with us? Hours. No, they're not. Oh, are they here now? Probably, I don't know. Oh, hilarious. Uh, no, she said she only listens for mentions of herself, which then she had to clarify is not true. But uh, here's her mention of her for this week. We could do a show where I mention name drop, name drop every single everybody. listener. That would that would actually be kind of boring. Truthfully. It would be. Speaking of name dropping listeners, I don't know if this was a gift or what, but I got a notification today that a, somebody had ordered a mug. One of our one of our too busy to flush people are weird and mm-hmm. hard mugs, and it's addressed to Seth Sethy Poo, <laughs> and then the last name. I'm really hoping it's one of our listeners' wives ordering something for their husband because that is awesome. Yes. And they just got name dropped on the show. Sethy Poo. Sethy Poo. Um, I call you Molly Poo. No, please don't. Uh, why was I mentioning Addie? She said so. Oh, she pointed out that even in the New Testament era, you know, I had I had somewhat shamelessly, but a little bit shame abashedly recommended that people listen to my my little monologue on the rainbow to discuss to kind of frame some of our discussion for mm-hmm. last night but i addy mentioned not only in the days of noah where every intention of man's heart only evil all the time also in the new testament era homosexuality was rampant and pedophilia was actually also rampant and promoted as being a moral good and christianity was what put that in check and created the moral basis that we have here in the West, which was protecting the the weakest members of society, women and children. 
And now that we are in a post-Christian world, the weakest members of society, women and children, are going to suffer the most because the unmooring that we have from a solid foundation for truth claims and thus morality is going to mean that the strong uh, victimize the weak. And Christianity is going to, again, be an oasis for the most suffering members of our society. I, speaking of that, while we were at the cabin, so you guys, JR came home on Friday afternoon with the three girls for a dad-daughter campout that some friends of ours had invited him to. I did. And after lunch on, on the way Friday, home, I filled up with said five ninety nine nice. a gallon gasoline. <laughs> and but I got twenty cents off, so it was oh, actually five seventy nine. Ouch. Anyway, was it? no, it was four ninety nine, wasn't it? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was five ninety nine. I, I think the diesel was five ninety nine. I think okay. the gas was four was four ninety nine. I paid four seventy nine. Okay, so because I haven't seen anything in Montana yet that's, that's for that five dollars for a gas. So I picked up. A book but because be it was I don't know. it was weird to have it be so quiet up there. Just me and my mom and dad and Titus, who is eleven and doesn't have a lot of emotional needs to be read to by mom or to, tri- you know, he trips and he needs mom to baby him and he just he can feed himself and if he has a snack I can say we'll figure something out and. So I had all this time ahead of me, and I usually don't plan to manage. Pause. All this I time. looked up the receipt. I paid four seventy nine a gallon. Okay. Phew. Okay. Clarified. Clarification made. Sorry. Good. Totally interrupted you. Go ahead. Uh, so I picked up this book that was sitting on the bookshelves up there. People just kind of there's random stacks of bookshelves uh, up there, and this is Francis Schaeffer trilogy. It's three book, three essential books in one volume. The God Who Is There, Escape From Reason, and He Is There, and He Is Not Silent. And I have this general knowledge of who Francis Schaeffer is, and Labrie, of course. And my mom, when I homeschooled in junior high, had me watch the How Shall We Then Live videos. And now as a homeschool mom, I understand that she loved it. She got probably got a ton out of it. And I just remember this kind of goofy looking guy wandering around on the countryside lecturing to the video, to the camera. (laughs) And I would love, she probably still has them on VHS and I could take them to the cabin and watch them on the VHS player that we have up there. Cause I think that's the only one that I have access to. Uh, And I would probably get a ton out of them now, but I, so I read, I don't know, 50 pages. I have the bookmark in this book. I read 50 pages of the God who is there. And I was like, holy cow. Not only was Francis Schaeffer a brilliant and deep thinker, but he was so prophetic in how he read the culture and the problems in the culture, as well as how those problems were going to start working themselves out. And the the book was originally published, you guys, in... It was republished in 1968, so the publisher's preface is in 19... Oh, it was published initially in 1968, The God Who Was There, republished in 1990. And there's a foreword by J.I. Packer that he says, 
Schaefer has enduring relevance. And he's seeing this in 1990. And now Schaefer's dead, Packer's dead. And he's they what Packer says as well as what Schaefer says still has enduring relevance. But I started... So one of his things is Schaefer's really big on what he calls the antithesis, which is essentially you make an absolute truth claim and then anything that is not true is false. And that has been obliterated in our culture and had been by the time he was writing this in 1968, but most people hadn't recognized it. And he says, in particular, the the broader culture has given up this logical claim that anything that is not A is non-A. He uses weird logic phrases like Mm -hmm. that that I have to sit and think about. But essentially, if it's anything that, if it's it's not, not then it's not. If it's not what's true, then it's not true. (laughs) And it's defined, it's defined by, it's just basic logic statements. But he, he says the evangelical church is still working under the assumption that our apologetics and our just teaching of our children can, can work within this framework and can assume that, that everybody in the world believes that there is actually a foundation on which we can make solid truth claims. And he says the, the problem is that, that the rest of the world has moved into this this area where they essentially become the arbiter of what is true and therefore you can't make a solid truth claim and you can't you can't cohesively say to someone it doesn't make sense to them for you to make uh well if this is not true if this is this is true and everything else is not true sorts of claims but he had I'm going to skim through here a couple of just phenomenal quotes. Okay, so this, he he attributes this quote to Martin Luther, and it was real thought-provoking to me. If I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking... I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. So what he's saying is, if you are a church, a pastor, or a teacher, or whatever, whoever you, whoever you are. Or a parent. Or a parent. And you teach you in today's culture. You were to proclaim proclaim all the truth except that abortion, homosexuality, homosexuality, abortion, and those are sins. Um, you're you're not teaching the truth at all. He's saying that you are not confessing Christ. That is way convicting on a lot of levels for probably a lot of people. It was super convicting. I can I I could apply it to all sorts of other people in my world, but I will apply it to myself in the context of our conversation last night. That if I sit at home and I effectively teach my kids the Westminster Catechism and I teach them memory verse after memory verse and I do all of this great teaching them to evaluate motives of their heart and things like that and I send them out into the world and they get hit with pride flags and things like that, 
and they don't know how to process that in the light of the Christian worldview, I have not actually given them a Christian worldview. Mm. Because if the Westminster Catechism and memorizing the Ten Commandments and memorizing John 1 and all the things that I've done with my kids to disciple them for the last year, if that doesn't give them a faith that, as Luther says, the the world at, at the point at which the world and the devil at that moment are attacking, I've done nothing for their faith. Because they're going to walk out and they're going to be, you know, if you walk <coughs> outside and the wind is screaming and you're leaning not into the wind, you're going to get blown over. You have to know how to counterbalance yourself with where the wind is. Or if you're on a, on a ship in a storm, or even not in a storm, if you're on a ship out in the ocean and there's big waves rolling, you have to be able to counterbalance where those waves are hitting or you fall over in a second. Or I could go on and on with ship metaphors. You got to keep your eye on the horizon <laughs> or you're going to get seasick. Taught that to Titus. I, we I will still get seasick. Just putting that out there. I, but, but, you know, so if you're, if you, if I'm just thinking as a parent and all of the different ways that the women sitting in my living room last night were able to sit and process, there's different ways that with having freedom in Christ, we can respond to the world in different ways. Some people in good con- conscience will keep shopping at Target. And when they see chest binders or flags at Target when they're there with their kids, they're going to talk to them about them. Other people say, I'm not giving Target a penny more of my money because of the fact that they're assaulting kids by selling chest binders there, which is my stance. Maybe a couple pennies, depending on convenience. But th- there was one gal who was like, I can't stop shopping at all the places that are bad. I couldn't buy anything. No, it's true. Like it's, Honestly, it's that's, true. that's, that's it's true. largely true. But I, I overheard when I brought the kids home last night, mm-hmm. I overheard somebody, I don't remember who it was, because there's a bunch of ladies there I didn't know. But she was talking about loving the fact that, I mean, it was Nicole, actually, now that he mentioned it, loving the fact that we have, you know, liberties of conscience, mm-hmm. that to a certain extent, it's up to each one of us to to draw our own line, our own conclusion on what's too much for us mm-hmm. and what's too far. And how God is calling us to yeah. respond. But I think my key point with the the Luther quote here is, is I... I don't leave my house much, let's be honest. I have gotten very few questions from our kids when it comes to asking, when it comes to these zoo issues, because we're not, we don't live in a neighborhood where we're seeing a lot of pride flags being flown and we're not shopping in stores. I don't like shopping with my kids. I don't take my kids shopping. (laughs) They're not not seeing all the pride month stuff and we don't watch most mainstream media. And so unless there's a pride advertisement on the YouTube video they're watching for Operation yeah. Ouch, they're pretty much getting nothing. And and yet I am doing my kids a disservice if I don't somehow give them the opportunity to bolster their faith with which so that another question anyway, I'll finish that thought. If I'm not if I'm not actually teaching them how their faith applies to where the world is attacking Christianity right now, I'm not, I'm not raising up disciples who will withstand today's storms or tomorrow's storms. Uh, 
there there was another question of some moms with some younger kids who were asking, how do I how do I talk to my kids about this? What's do, I don't I don't think my my five year old needs to know that men are dressing up as scantily clad women and reading who knows what to little kids. And I don't I don't feel like I need to even introduce images like that into his mind. And I don't feel like then the processing of that for him with why is this wrong uh, and what what does it mean? Like, like she's it, like, I don't even let my kids see images of women dressed like that. It's it, and it, on, it would give me nightmares if I was a kid. Like, if you've seen the North Face ad, they're doing their whole like tour thing with gay people or whatever. But the the cross dresser who's on there is frightening. Like, you recognize that's not natural. And a part of me yes, never really wants a, to get get used to seeing that stuff without feeling like that doesn't seem this it's i think that we can't say enough that it is an insulting parody of what is a woman oh yeah as Addie said last night my womanhood is not a costume and if you look i mean look at me (laughs) i don't look anything like a drag queen Thank God. But, you know, <laughs> I am currently not wearing any makeup. What's that say my, about me? My hair is in a ponytail that I washed it on Saturday. It's in a ponytail and I was fixing, I was trying to arrange the sprinkler. And so I'm a little bit bedraggled. <laughs> it's a little bit wet still from running through. Okay, Addie. No, no, no. I'm just saying, I like, I am a real woman and I am in what I'm wearing and how I look and how I'm acting right now, I believe that I am doing a, I wouldn't say an exemplary job, but I am modeling what it means to be a woman yes. to our girls. Um, side note, Addie, I say it bedraggled. Molly says bedraggled. You say bedraggled? I've always said that in my head. It's bedraggled. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. This is going to be like the cow farts thing. Yeah. You're going to hear from people so, like probably, nobody believes it's bed right Probably, but like last week, I forget what word it was. You Is pronounced the word differently than I did. And applicable. Like, applicable. And I, applicable. And Addie always pronounced it like I did. So I was just curious what Addie did because I've, it's, yeah. This is going to be a cow farts moment. You know how many words, isn't it. it funny how many words you bring up and you say and then you realize you've never actually looked up how they're supposed to be pronounced? You just assume by looking at them? I absolutely love when our kids use a word in their vocabulary correctly, but they mispronounce it because it tells me that they are reading so Mm. much and they're absorbing things into their vocabulary apart from my less than exemplary education that I'm giving them in homeschooling that I don't have to. And I say this, you know, a little bit tongue in cheek. I don't I don't have to do all the things, all the rock star homeschool mom things that some rock star homeschool moms do because our kids are reading so much. They regularly use a word correctly, which means that they're reading things and they're comprehending what's being what they're reading mm-hmm. and they're they're but they have no idea how to pronounce it. They're just making it up in their brains because they've never heard it out loud, which means they're totally getting it from books. And I remember my parents there were a couple of words that my brother would do that with because my brother was one of those 
like ridiculous apparently i still kids. do that with words yeah nothing wrong with it. no Which shame is fine. no shame guys now we have m-w.com that can tell you how to pronounce things out loud though merriamwebster.com oh yeah but they like, like the to original. redefine things so i don't trust them anymore no. they'll just change definitions on you you gotta watch out for this then we're gonna blame cagey. them for changing oh they're cagey they've they've changed no, a few I'm definitions def- over the years pronunciations as well keep one of those old books guys from the 80s yeah because they were clean so. um no but but I anyway, it warms it warms my heart, and I try not to make fun of the kids too much, even though it makes me giggle a little bit because it just makes me proud that they're learning new words in reading, just as they should. They keep saying they, most of them still keep saying binoculars wrong. Binoculars. Binoculars. There are a couple of things they insist like on saying wrong, even nuclear. though I try to correct yeah. them. Binoculars. So one other thing that was really interesting to me in this Francis Schaeffer book besides that chris texted you some feedback on some of our last few episodes and he concluded the text with thanks for using everyday life and then doing the how shall i then live application to it or something like that but i was like oh this is this is the sign if i believe that god gives us signs that i need to do more of a Schaefer dive because that's a quote from francis schaefer the how shall we then live right and i was already thinking partly i was thinking i was thinking i want to learn go a little bit deeper on schaefer right now partly because i have this book in front of me and i'm intrigued by his way of evaluating the world and some of you guys know that i I was huge into schaefer early on in my theological career so so nancy piercy actually loves schaefer and bases a her book, some of her books. Schaefer, that's Kafir. I'm sorry. Schaefer. That was a, that's Schaefer. <laughs> I know, I know. You were just, you were, you were just misspoke. Uh, I haven't even had extra caffeine today, but I, I feel like that his, his framework for thinking about theology might be instructive for us today. But also, I'm really struck by his, by just thinking about bringing the idea of Libri. I had no idea Maui was in here. He's been here the whole time. He just sat up and there's a living being scratching his neck right now next to me. Um, So Libri and the Benedict option, which your mom has gone deeper into understanding than I have. But this idea and then and then the women who were at our home last night and this idea of christian communities oh also i'm going to throw into that i finished sd smith's green ember series and i i mentioned weeks ago when i started reading the green ember that there there's this group of rabbits who have escaped from the most dangerous part of the world they live in where the wolves and the hawks ravage them when they're out in, um, you know, they leave their little holes or whatever. And and they have this vision that they call the mended wood. And so as they're, as they're battling the evil that is threatening to annihilate them and that is causing great suffering throughout this whole four book series, there's this, there's this community of rabbits that has been in this hidden place, doing 
doing beautiful artwork and making amazing clothing and singing and telling stories, cultivating the art of storytelling and gardening and making amazing food and essentially creating this foretaste of their hoped for mended wood and having had that little experience of the mended wood when they then leave the community and are out fighting and experiencing deep suffering and loss they can look back on the foretaste of the mended wood that they've had and then they can encourage one another that this is what we're working for and they have this saying that it will not be so in the mended wood and i think i'm not giving i'm not giving you spoilers by by saying that, which you should keep reading the series. But, I am. I know. I'm reading like five different things right now. It's I know. Crazy. Uh, fun. But but so taking that taste of the mended wood, and it will not be so in the mended wood. And then you have you have to have these little communities of people who are who are still doing the good and the beautiful things in the midst of a dark and tragic an evil world it's given me this desire to keep cultivating benedict option slash Libri like experiences for ourselves and for our kids and for a broader community and even the discussion that we had last night one of the gals who was here that has come to a handful of my meetings for the last year she was she actually said she's reading live not by lies and she said this tonight's meeting makes me feel like we're one of those communities in live not by lies where Mm -hmm. where you're fortifying to to withstand the onset and you're creating this little community that can live not by lies and that can encourage each other and have these safe safe spaces for free speech is one of the sayings that we have. But but you have to do it more than just with conversation. I think you have to give people a visceral experience to taste and see that the Lord is good, to actually enjoy good food and good conversation and safety and relaxation in order to rebuild and fortify them as well as give them a place to come back after difficulty has buffeted them and also to cast a vision for people that this is this is not how the world is meant to be and it's not how it always will be i don't know yeah it just goes i feel back like to my love yeah of food. <laughs> and i just like i feel like there's a, there's a point of where the church needs to play a role on that and what is the church and how are we fulfilling that as a church, both as a local body and as, you know, the global community. But, and the reason I bring that up is because I just, there's no, there's like one of the gals last night, I was, her husband helped, um, put on the father daughter thing. And she's like, Oh yeah, he's just kind of given up on having friends. Cause he's just like, I just don't have time. You know, you have this thing with women, but there's nothing going on right now for men that's in the same venue. It's almost mm-hmm. like we don't feel a compulsion to mm-hmm. do that. Or if we do feel a compulsion, it's not, um, it's more of a camaraderie thing, like an experiential thing. Like we have to go into a war, into a battle, like a physical ongoing battle where our life is being threatened before we can actually realize, oh, we need to band together to make something happen. 
but there's just it just doesn't exist in the man circles. You know, there's nothing there. Hmm. So it's it's an interesting. <clears throat> and relationships are hard to foster. Relationships are just hard to. Because even I told her, I was like, yeah, I'm the same way. I, you know, I've been doing stuff all day. Not really the last thing I want to do, and I'm even an extrovert. But I would rather go to bed. Like I'm tired. I just want to go to bed right now. It costs a. It, it takes a lot of time and energy to invest in people, and I. I'm exhausted. You know, it's like I know I should invest in people, but I don't. You know, because yeah. I'm tired. So. And I think that's one of those things yeah. where you're you're saying about the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, and the mm-hmm. next best time is today. When if we haven't fostered those relationships, we we don't really notice the lack until we're really hurting, and we don't have anyone to turn to. Yeah. And true. then and then you're you're suffering alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just it, I'm all, I always feel compelled when I hear those things to be far more um just far more pointed and not even and maybe not even like getting together with you and going okay what cup are we going to have over this week but like like literally jumping in the car and swing just dropping by somebody's house some evening and saying hi <laughs> you know like because i know most of the dads in my circle they're at home in the evenings yeah. They're working around the house. But they're, they're hanging out with TV. their kids. Yeah, and there's a, there's that that's a big challenge too because yeah. you feel a compulsion that when you're not at work, when you're not out doing something else, you need to be home with your family and your kids. Mm-hmm. And so I get it, but I also recognize there's a balance there somewhere. And I don't know what it is. Maybe you guys yeah. out there on the on the groups know. And guess what? On that note, you can tell us what you think that balance is on our Telegram channel. We have a Telegram group, an app, the chat group, private group that you can join the link is in the show notes to do that but if you don't want to do that and you want to just email us like even chris said or uh even chris said you know you're really faithful about giving all the sanctioned ways to reach out to you and he's got my we stayed at his house so he's got my personal cell phone number he's like i'm just gonna text you because i'm lazy (laughs) um you can email us at tb2f the number 2f at pm.me papamike.me um, or you can go to our website, www.tb2f.com, or too busy to flush all grammatically correct.com. If you scroll down to the bottom of the page, we have a um, uh, bullet uh, postcard that you can uh, send us a quick note on that postcard. And if you want to be like Sethy Poo and get your very own Too Busy to Flush, People Are Weird and Hard Mug, you can do that on our website while you're there as well. So. Okay, I'm going to throw in. Uh, Molly's going to close the show right now with something really profound. No, I'm not. I'm going to send JR a recipe for a gooey butter lemon cake that I made for my group last night. Profound. It was really tasty. Not super difficult. Not really sour lemony either. No, it it has a lot of sugar in it. One of the uh, Uncle Vernon would exhort you because it uses lemon zest to use organic lemons for your zest. Because that means that your lemon has been washed with baking soda and water, I believe, and not sprayed with a ton of things to make it pretty and the right color and things like that. So use organic oranges and lemons when you're using zest. But it was really tasty. I actually really, both the both the crust and the cake part and the curd part had lemon flavor in them. I was a little bit disappointed last night that most people did not eat the the back part of the crust. Maybe they thought it was too hard or they'd gotten through all the good stuff. But 
where it cooked along the edges, it kind of the sugar kind of caramelized. That was my favorite part. It was my favorite part, too. And there was a lot of, when people left last night, there was a lot of, like, the back part of crust left over. And I had to resist the urge to eat everybody's crust. (laughs) (laughs) If it were my children, I would have, but I didn't know whose plate was whose. But I'm going to, if you are going to a summer barbecue or having people over because you believe that you should be giving people a foretaste of the good things that God has for us to come in heaven this lemon cake would be a good way to add to the deliciousness that is the way the world uh the way god has made the world that's it lemon cake go forth and make lemon cake talk to you guys next week